You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Can we give Jesus some praise here today, Salem Tabernacle? Give God your best praise right here, right now. If he's been good in your life, let him know. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Savior. Wonderful, wonderful. You may be seated. Like what was said, my name is Stephen Francis, and I'm so excited to be here with you. I do not come by myself. I am joined here by my wonderful wife and my son, Maddox. We're so grateful to have them here, too. I love you both. Thank you. And we come to you from Valley Christian Churches right down the street, and we truly do. I mean it when I say this, and I'm so grateful for Anthony and our friendship. God bless you, brother. I love you. I love your family. Uh, But I mean it when I say this. We love Salem Tabernacle. We love this church. We love what God is doing in this community. And I truly do love your pastor, Pastor Bill. I connected with him, and we hit it off right away. And I said this last time I was here a couple months ago, but I need to say it again because you guys, you can take for granted the people that you have in your circles. Pastor Bill is a true man of God, both on and off the stage. He loves his family. He loves the people in this community. And it is so grateful to be able to not just look at him as a colleague, but as a true friend. And I believe right now he is watching. So, Bill, I love you, brother. Please recover. I'm going to do you good up here. So grateful for all of the people watching online as well. So grateful for you. Let me just be honest, though, uh, Salem Tabernacle. When I was here in July, I was invited to be a guest, okay? Today, I feel like family. Is that all right? Here's the thing about family, though. Family, whether you like it or not, will get in your kitchen and start stirring some stuff up. And I'm going to keep it real with you. I'm here to stir some stuff up in your life today. All in the name of Jesus. All in the name of Jesus. So before we get anywhere further, can we just invite God into this moment right here together? Can you pray with me? God, you've been so good. You've been so kind. We love you for who you are, for what you've done. And Jesus, in this moment is an opportunity for us to just witness you in a new and greater way. Do a new thing in us right now. Do a greater work in us right now. Let everything that I say on this stage not be any level of performance, but let me show up as a microphone for you to say what needs to be said into the hearts and minds of each and every person here. Father, I thank you. I love you. And we believe that all this is done in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. And amen. Hey, listen, if you have your Bibles, whether yours is a physical Bible or maybe yours glows, uh, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. It's going to be up here on the screen. But before I read anything from Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to give you guys a recap of what's happening here in this story. See, in the book of Nehemiah, it tells the story of a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, but he was also from Israel. And after having a conversation with someone from Israel, he finds out that the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed, which is a big deal in this time, because if there's no walls, that means that there is no safety. 
So he feels a conviction from the Lord to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the king of Persia gives him permission and he shows up. He gathers the men and the women from that area and they build the wall together in 52 days. That alone is a miracle because I can't get a contractor to call me back in 52 days. But nevertheless, they managed to do this. And what we are about to read in this passage in Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 10, is the celebration that happens after the wall is built. It starts off like this in verse chapter 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy the choice food and sweet drinks and send them to those who have nothing prepared. Salem, let's just stop real quick because we can't just read scripture. You got to put yourself in the scripture. If you're at a party and it's an epic party, what is choice food and sweet drink for you? I'm going to tell you what it is for me. First off, there better be some ribs at this party. There better be some real good chicken wings at this party. And there better be some macaroni and cheese made by a black woman at this party. I'm just keeping it real. It hits different. It hits different. I got a witness in this place. And I know I got some people in here like, my mac and cheese is good too. I know. I'm just saying it's different. And if I'm thinking sweet drink, I'm thinking maybe a Chick-fil-A sweet tea, the most anointed of the sweet teas, maybe an ice cold Coca-Cola. But that's my idea of an epic party with some choice food and sweet drinks. But then the scripture keeps going. He says, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm just curious. Is there anybody that has joy in the Lord here at Salem Tabernacle this morning? I don't think you heard my question. Is there anybody here that has some joy in the Lord at Salem Tabernacle this morning? Can I encourage anybody in here? If you're tired, if you're weary, if you feel like giving up, if you don't know how you're going to make it until tomorrow, that there is strength from the Lord that comes from our joy in him. Amen? But the scripture keeps going. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Now, let me explain what is being said here. Before this party started, they had the priest Ezra read from the Torah, the Jewish Bible, for seven days from daybreak until noon. Now, let me keep it real with you, Salem Tabernacle. I grew up in a Pentecostal Jamaican house. In my home, church services was usually a quick four hours every single Sunday. If you did not pack a snack, you was not going to make it at my church growing up. So when I hear that they had seven days of daybreak until noon, I hear that these people are so excited because not only are they able to go home and sit down, but also... These people are being excited and riveted by the word of God happening in their lives, and they are celebrating what God has done here in this moment. See, the scripture keeps going. It says in verse 40, going on in uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, 
The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. And again, put yourself in the story. Back then, they didn't have jumbo speakers. They didn't have no boombox. They didn't have no bows. So they needed music for a party, so they would use choirs. And this party was so big that they had two choirs going. And in my mind, these choirs were singing Before I Let Go by Frankie Beverly and Mays. The people of Jerusalem were in the middle of the streets doing the cha-cha and electric slide. It keeps going, so did I together with half of the officials. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The woman and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. The word that keeps coming up here is the word joy. The people of Jerusalem were excited to be back in the place of God. 40,000 people were able to come home once the wall was built. And this was not just a celebration over the completion of the wall, but it was a rededication of themselves to God, seeing what he has done in their lives. This was not just some stale office party with some whack pizza. This is New Year's Eve dancing, singing in the street celebration over what God has done. And if this were a movie, Salem, this would be the perfect moment for the words that pop up to say that they lived happily ever after, and then we can all feel good about ourselves. But that is Disney, and this is real life. What we see is a very different story that happens for the people of Jerusalem here in this passage. Because after this celebration happens and everybody rededicates themselves to the Lord, Nehemiah goes back to being a cupbearer in Jerusalem. And after some time, he gets curious and he wants to visit the people of Jerusalem again to see how everybody is doing. And he's expecting to see them still with that level of passion and dedication. He's expecting to see epic church services. He's expecting to see people serving in all of the ministries. He's expecting to see people being generous to the cause of God. But have you ever had a moment in your life where you were expecting to see one thing and instead got the exact opposite? True story, me and my wife, a couple years ago, we did a road trip in California. And the place that I was excited to visit on that road trip was San Francisco, specifically because I thought I booked an amazing Airbnb for us to enjoy for the couple days that we were there. It had beautiful pictures. It said it was in a gated community. But when we showed up to San Francisco, we found out that it was a scam. There wasn't even a gated community. It was just a broke down gate in front of the building. And the room that we went in not only was not what the pictures were, but also was filled with mice. And I don't do mice, bruh. <laughs> Maybe you've had a situation in your life where you experienced the opposite of what you were expecting. And that's exactly what happens here to Nehemiah. See, it says this in Nehemiah 13. Sometime later, I asked his permission, the king of Persia, and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and I threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Real quick, Tobiah was one of the haters throughout the entire process of the rebuilding of the wall. He even tried to get Nehemiah killed at one point because he didn't want to see him succeed. I also learned, the passage goes on, that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and I asked them, why is the house of, the why is the house of God, and everyone say this last word with me, neglected? Amen. 
Why is the house of God neglected? How did you have so much passion for the Lord and it go away? What happened? Can I ask you a question, Salem Tabernacle? Has your passion gone away in this room today? Has your passion for God, has your passion for the matters of God gone away in this place today? Can I be honest with you? You know, the pandemic really messed a lot of stuff up for us. The pandemic took some of our passion away for family, for our spouse, for work, for patience. And many of us are living under some idea that as soon as everything in life gets back to normal, so will we. But that's not true. In reality, some of us will never get back our normal again. And I have to be honest with you, I know this is my second time here, but can we talk today? I shared some of my story last time, and I want to share a little bit more of it and give you context. I gave my life to Jesus at 15 years old because someone in my high school shared the gospel with me, and it radically changed my life. And it made me say to myself, I want people to know God, and I'm going to do everything in my power to love people. I'm going to do everything in my power to share the love of Jesus with people so I can see them come to faith also. It was something I was passionate about. But last year, that passion vanished. And I'm not talking about it got, it, it was low. I'm saying it was gone. See what happened? The campus that I was pastoring over, it closed its doors. And the only way for me to properly pastor people still was to go on social media and to try to encourage them with prayers and with Bible studies. But social media also became this place that was just toxic and hateful. And I saw people who I loved say the most hurtful, nasty things to one another. So much so, it's hard to me, even to this day, to look at them the same. And everything that happened racially, everything that happened in my personal life, everything that was happening in politics, it started driving me to a point where he said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done trying to help people. I'm done trying to love people. I can only just look out for me. I can only just look out for mine. In fact, it was even hard for me to pursue God for myself. And I had a moment where I was getting into an argument with somebody and I actually got so upset that I took my Apple Watch off and I threw it against the wall. Which, by the way, is really dumb. Those things are very expensive. <laughs> and I had to sit down and ask myself, Stephen, where did your passion go? What happened to your love for people? What happened to your love for God? And as I sat there and I thought about it, I realized that it wasn't passion that I was lacking. What I was lacking was zeal. Everyone say that word with me, zeal. What is zeal? Zeal is great energy in pursuit of a cause. It is tireless devotion. Zeal isn't just passion when you feel some enthusiasm about something new. Zeal is the will and energy to see it through to the finish. And many of you guys have felt passion before because it was a new year or maybe you got a new job or you entered a new relationship. 
But zeal is the will and energy and tireless devotion to see that to the end. Especially when it comes to our faith in Jesus. Romans 12 verse 11 says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I'll say it again. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. See, zeal is about commitment. Zeal makes you a spiritual warrior. It is tireless devotion to push through the hard times, the dry times, no matter what. And passion is important to finish. Excuse me, passion is important to start, but zeal is what you need to finish. So I want you to remember this phrase with me today. If you don't remember anything else, remember this phrase. Passion neglects what zeal protects. Passion neglects what zeal protects. See, passion is about your heart for God, but zeal is about your strength for God. Passion raises its hands in a worship service. Oh, my goodness, is this Jaira? Jesus, I love you. I praise you. I worship you, Jesus. I'll serve you all the rest of my days. Thank you, Lord. Zeal resists temptation in the dark when no one is looking. Passion gives you spiritual goosebumps. But zeal gives you spiritual grit. Are you a goosebump Christian in here today? Is your faith in Jesus determined by your mood and your conditions? Because God wants to use some gritty Christians in here today. Meaning whenever you're high, whenever you're low, whenever you're on the mountaintop, whenever you're in the valley, you are giving God your best every single day, worshiping him, knowing that the zeal for the house of the Lord will consume you. See, I need zeal in my life. I don't need more goosebumps. I need more grit. And when I look at this passage in the life of Nehemiah, I see how somebody zealous comes across when he confronts somebody that's only dealing with neglected passion. So with the time I have, let me just give you two observations. I want to reread this passage again, but from the perspective of zeal. See, the first thing we learn is that zeal makes you contribute and not just consume. I want to reread what it says again. Nehemiah 13, sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. That hater had to go. And that could be a sermon in itself, by the way. Some of you guys are tolerating people as friends, but they just hate us. That's another sermon, though. <laughs> that hater rate. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. Well, let me explain what he's saying. The equipment that was supposed to be used to bless the house of the Lord was no longer being used to bless the house of the Lord. People were just using it for themselves. But then it keeps going. It says this. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. They weren't paying the worship team. The worship team said we got tired of doing this for free. We're going to find our own jobs. So I rebuked the officials and I asked them, why is the house of God neglected? That I called them together and stationed them at their posts. 
When Nehemiah left Jerusalem, he saw them devoted. And when he comes back, he sees that they are using the resources of God. They're using the house of God for selfish reasons. And often I see us play the same thing in church. One of the most beautiful things I see growing up in church is someone that gives their life to Jesus. Someone that has a radical change by the loving God. And in that moment, they're willing to show up to every church service. They'll serve on every ministry team. And they don't care what's going on. They want to be in the house of the Lord and be in his presence. But also one of the things that hurts me the most is seeing that same believer turn into somebody that just shows up and is like, man, there better be some good music today. That person who I don't like singing on the, on the worship team better not be on the worship team because they can't sing. There better be some type of coffee or some water or something in here today. The preacher better make me laugh today. It better not be no dry sermon. It better be just for me. Oh, shoot, I just realized my button undone. <laughs> I was holding my son during worship, and I, I, heard, I saw him playing with it, but I didn't know he did it like that. All right, anyway. <laughs> we can go from what can I do for God and the church to what is the church even doing for me? And this doesn't just have to be church specific. You can have this moment with Jesus in your own life where it's all about serving others and loving him. And suddenly everything just comes down to, well, if I feel like it today, I will show the love of Jesus to somebody. If I have some free time, then maybe I'll get into my Bible and I'll pray. But otherwise, I got some other stuff going on. And we can start to become people that are only consuming and no longer contributing. Zeal makes you contribute and not just consume. And I want to be clear about something else. Is that every person in here has been given gifts and talents from God. But he does not just give you gifts and talents. So you can have gifts and talents. He blesses you to be a blessing with those gifts and talents. And the easiest way the enemy can trip you up to living less than what God has called you for is to make you someone that is selfless into someone that is just selfish. The easiest way you can look like the antichrist in your life is to no longer serve others in God, but just be concerned about yourself. And I know this because this is the life that Jesus showed so often. And let me be clear, I'm not speaking against self-love or self-care. That's important, too. But there needs to be a level of us as believers doing what it takes to show love to people, even when we're not comfortable, even when it's not easy. But there's a second thing that we see here also. Is that zeal calls you to commit and not just compromise. We see the people compromise their convictions in Nehemiah 13, where it says here, Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, these names sound kind of funny, but here's the reason why he brings these names up, because these are the names of pagan society gods that were in the time period. 
Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other people and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. The same people that were joyously dedicating their lives to God so long ago, now, right now, are so involved in these relationships with these pagan God societies that they're not even teaching their children to walk in the ways of the Lord. Then he says this, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Now, Salem, let's talk about this. <laughs> let's not make this our life verse in here today. This is not the healthiest way to handle problems. But I do want to be clear about something else. That Nehemiah in this moment is so zealous for God that it drives him to do something drastic because he is so convicted by the sin that is happening in front of him. The same people that said that they were dedicating themselves to God after God had done such a powerful thing in their lives have compromised in such a way that not only are they not walking with the Lord, but now their children are disinterested in walking in the Lord. And this brings him to such a place of rage that he literally acts out in such an outrageous way. But let's be honest, we've seen this before. We see this in the life of Jesus, because when Jesus entered the temple, a place where worship was supposed to be happening, and he saw people buying and selling and trading, he started turning tables over. He got a whip, and he started whipping things around, and he said, zeal for the house of the Lord will consume me. That's what zeal looks like. There's conviction. There's anger with it. Anger in the sense that I will not relent, I will not back down, I will do everything it takes that God is glorified in my life. Right. Zealous Christians commit and they don't compromise. And the reason why that's important is because many of us don't realize the effect our lives will have if we are people that compromise in our relationships give you a quick personal example of this. In May 2015, I married my beautiful wife, Jasmine. Beautiful. And on that day, I declared to everyone present that this is not a woman, this is the woman that I want to be with for the rest of my life, and I will commit myself to her for all of my days. And after we had a wonderful wedding, we went to Paris and we had a wonderful adventure together. But that was 2015. Now, the honeymoon phase is over. And that's not bad. That's just normal. Our life is no longer consistent of Parisian vacations. Our life is consistent of a fixer-upper house, a lot of bills, New York taxes, and a son that's potty training. And so all you parents out there, you need to be warning children when they have children about the hardness of potty training a child. <laughs> Nobody warned me about that. I should have got a heads up. <laughs> and in these moments of my life, it would be so easy for me to have compromising relationships in order to try to escape what it is that I'm currently experiencing. This is why I need zeal in my life. Because passion is great for the first five years of marriage, but zeal is what I need to be married 50 plus years from now. Zeal is what I need. 
to be sure that I'm not talking to anybody in person or on social media that is not my wife in a way that is not right. It makes me make sure that I'm not looking at things on the computer that I should not be looking at. Zeal is what I need to be sure that I'm not just working hard to provide for my family, but I'm not just working hard to escape my family. Zeal is what I need to be sure that my time with God is still something that is sacred and purposeful for me, as opposed to just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I actually just watch so much more Netflix instead. I want a faith in my life that causes for my family to be something that could be a reflection of the goodness of God to others that see it. I want my faith to be something that causes for people that when they see it, they want it for their lives too. And the easiest way for that to not be the case is to have compromise. To find things behind closed doors that cause for me to say one thing in person and be somebody completely different behind the scenes. And the lives of the people here in Nehemiah 13 they started off saying that they believed in God, but ended up in relationships and circumstances that completely contradicted that. And the thing about that that's so dangerous is that many of us already know the ripple effects that happens from a compromised relationship. Many of you guys know the pain of a compromised marriage. Many of you guys know the pain of following a compromised leader, maybe even a spiritual leader. But let me say this, that the opposite is also true. That those that commit and not compromise, that those that even contribute and not consume, leave a lasting legacy to people around them, to their family, to their community, to even generations from now, that sets a tone that says God is worth following, that Jesus Christ really is Lord. And I want to encourage all of you in here, this is a difficult pursuit, but also with God, nothing is impossible. My time is running out. With the time I have left, I want to tell you how you can recapture your zeal. That's what I needed to do for me. I want to encourage you to do the same. I did it in several ways. First off, I needed to be honest. I needed to be honest to myself, to God, and to others around me. And this is why I needed to be honest, because it's so easy to perform. It's so easy for me to be a pastor up here and yell into this mic for 30 minutes and leave completely faithless. It's so easy for you to come into this place and be like, yes, praise the Lord. So good to see you. Thank you uh, uh, for having us. God is so good. You don't even believe in him anymore. So I needed to first write down every feeling that I had about myself, my life currently in that moment, what people have done to me, what, what I felt like God was doing to me. And I needed to write it down so that I could identify every single emotion. I could name it and then I could bring it to God so he can solve it. And then after I wrote it down, I went to God and I did something known as lament. It is the biblical form of being completely open and honest with God about what it is you're dealing with, about your feelings towards him. And let me tell you, I said some pretty reckless stuff. I said, God, I don't know if I trust in you anymore. 
I don't even know if I'm talking to you. I could be talking to the ceiling right now. But God, I need you to show up in my life. I need you to do something because I'm struggling to believe. And if there's anybody in here that has any similar feelings, let me encourage you with this. God is the creator of the universe. He can handle your complaints. And what's so powerful about this biblical practice of lament is that the more I was honest with God, the more I started seeing God do a work in me. And I went from God, I don't know if you're there, I don't know if you care, because everything that I see around me is terrible. And I was able to eventually have the Holy Spirit work in my life and say, God, I feel like I have seen you work in my life before. I feel like I have seen you do great things in my life before. So, God, I need you to do it again. Give me the faith I need to see you do it again. But then I didn't just be honest with myself and God. I had to open up to others. Salem, let me keep it real with you. I'm so grateful for the things that they're doing here at the church and the community that you have. And I want to encourage you to dive into that community because the most ineffective way of being a Christian is trying to do Christianity by yourself. If Jesus had people, you need people, okay? And I had to open up with people like Pastor Bill, the Fragamenes, and so many others. This is what's going on in my life. These are the struggles that I'm having at work. These are the struggles that I'm having with faith and culture. And I had them be able to encourage me and challenge me and pray with me and tell me their stories of when they were in similar situations. Scripture says in Proverbs that wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors. Get yourself a multitude of counselors here today. Then I started fasting. I started putting off different things. I went through a whole month where I was fasting. I, I, I didn't eat anything that I enjoyed, including pizza in Salem. I'm going to keep it real. I love me some pizza in this place, all right? But I decided to say no to these things that were enjoyable to me because I believed that God was a better yes. And I said, God, I need you to remind me that you are a better yes. I need you to reveal to me why you're a better yes. Because, Father, in this world that I'm living in right now, it's hard to care about you and for the people that you've called me to care for. It's hard to be effective in my marriage. It's hard to be effective as a parent. It's hard to be effective as a pastor. I need you to ignite that flame back in me. The last thing I did, I'm going to ask the band to come up now. The last thing I did was I needed to get my eyes off of me and needed to start looking at the lives of people that had zeal. In the midst of the pandemic, when I couldn't meet with anybody, I would go on my computer and I would just look up people's testimonies on YouTube. And I would see how, some, uh, how, how there was one particular woman that was battling with cancer but still served in the church her whole time battling with cancer and was on her way to go get a surgery. And while they did the exams on her during the, before they did the surgery, and they were about to literally put the knife in her to do the surgery, they had a doctor come in and say, everybody stop, the cancer is gone. We can't find it on any of the scans. I saw a testimony of a man who battled with alcohol for 20 years and gave his life to Jesus and was able to celebrate 20 years later being alcohol-free, the first man in his family to be alcohol-free in a lineage of alcoholism. 
I watch videos of brothers and sisters overseas in places like Africa and Asia and see how they'll do anything it takes to worship God even if it costs them their lives. I saw how people that had way less resources and opportunity that I had still had something so much more and that was the love and grace and faith of Jesus. And eventually after watching these videos and talking to other people and I would literally go to people and it's like, can you just tell me what God has done in your life? Can you just tell me a miracle God has done in your life? And I would hear story after story and eventually it would lead me to this point where I could say, God, you are good. God, you're good even when life is not. God, people are broken. People are messed up. And so am I. But Lord, if you came down and loved me, then Lord, I'm going to love them. I'm going to do whatever it takes for them. So I want to encourage any person in here right now under the side of my voice, watching online. You may have lost passion for God, but God has never lost zeal for you. You may have lost passion for God, but God always has zeal for you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus. And he exemplified what love looked like to everyone that was broken, to everyone that was hurting, to everyone that was undeserving. He loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sins. God died for you. That is zeal. And in all of his power and his glory, because he was still God, he rose again on the third day with power and authority in his hands. And he's offering you new life today. He's offering you zeal today. He's offering you what you need to get out of the rut that you're in. I know the pandemic has messed up plans in your life. But God's purpose for you is still the same in this place. And I want to encourage you now that if you think that there is somewhere in your life, in your relationships, in your, in your faith in God, in your career, and what it is that God has placed in your heart, where you feel like you no longer have passion, every head bowed, every eyes closed, I just want you to just pray these words with me. Romans 12, 11 says again, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So repeat these words after me if you need that zeal in your life that Romans talks about. Say, God, I need you to grow zeal in me. Let's say it again. God, I need you to grow zeal in me. Say it again with some emotion. God, I need you to grow zeal in me. Father, I thank you for each and every person here at Salem Tabernacle. I thank you for the work you've already been doing. And we are excited for the work that you are about to accomplish here in each and every life. Father, right here in this place are broken marriages, are broken relationships, are broken dreams, is broken self-esteem. And God, we come to you today asking, Lord, can you heal it? Can you restore us? Can you make us new? Can you give us the zeal we need so that when we leave here, we can escape the things we've been fighting against so long and that we can live a life that when people see it, they know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We want people to know you, oh God. We want people to experience change in you. 
Because when we didn't know you, when we didn't have passion for you, you always had zeal for us. Let your zeal infect us today. And let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We believe all this is done. In Jesus' mighty, matchless, beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Salem, stand up on your feet. Let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together. There we go. <laughs> As we get ready to partake in the Eucharist, uh, thinking about the sermon that we just heard, it can feel daunting to realize that at times in our life we're all going to feel like we're lacking that zeal. And I'm just so grateful that we don't have to manufacture that, that as Pastor Steve said, it comes from God. And so as we take the Eucharist every Sunday, we say, on the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And he did that with his closest followers, even the ones that had, the three that had gone up onto the mountain with him and seen the transfiguration and even the people that had seen these miracles and were closest to him at times had lacked that zeal. We see on that very night that the people that were closest to him rejected him. They turned their back on him. They lacked that tireless commitment that would keep them awake and praying through the night. And yet we have Jesus who fully was committed to see it through to the end. He had the zeal that we feel like we lack sometimes for God. So in his body and in his blood, when we come every Sunday morning, we take that, his body and his blood, and we say, thank you, God, that even though I don't have the zeal right now, you give it to me. It's your body and your blood that strengthens me, that gives me that grit, that strength to continue to love God. So on the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Will you partake with me? This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.